Welcome to the Cookery by the Book podcast with Susie Chase. She's just a home cook in New York City, sitting at her dining room table, talking to cookbook authors. This is Sarah Copeland, and I'm so excited to share my new cookbook, Every Day is Saturday. I think we all want to keep that start of the weekend feeling where anything is possible. How can we keep the weekend cooking mentality going all week long? Well, for me, it's about really tucking things away on Sunday. Sunday, you're already, you know, Saturday is such an exciting beginning of the weekend and you're kind of feeling loose and easy. But even by Sunday afternoon, I think the mentality of, oh gosh, it's coming, is creeping into our mind. And so that, that is a day that I'm already tucking away. How can I make this week feel great? And in terms of cooking, that means whatever I'm making on Saturday and Sunday, I'm, I'm tucking away a little extra for the week ahead. So if I'm baking in a banana bread, I'm always baking too. If I'm making a chocolate snacking loaf for kids that are coming over on the weekend, I'm making some for after-school snacks for my kids later in the week or something to tuck in for my two o'clock like work break in the afternoon. So I'm always kind of thinking ahead, but not thinking ahead in, oh, geez, here it comes, but thinking ahead in terms of packing away little moments for delight that you enjoy on the weekend, making sure you have them on the weekdays too. Carla Hall was sold on Every Day is Saturday as soon as she read the names of the chapters. Tell us about the chapters. I love that you asked that question because this is really the way we eat today in a modern world. Of course, breakfast and lunch and dinner still stands, but the fact of the matter is we are so busy. Families are so different. Families are integrated and and made all different kinds of ways, and we're, you know, everybody has activities. So the chapters are divided up in ways that you can blend and eat any time of the day. So, for example, chapters, well, obviously we have breakfast and brunch, but obviously brunch is you think of as a weekend thing. But if you work from home, maybe you get started at your desk for two hours and then you eat breakfast or brunch around 10 o'clock. Um, toast and bread is a wonderful chapter that's just really quick things. So these are things we eat a lot for breakfast, but I might eat on a work day as a mid-morning thing. Or if we have weekend guests, I might just pack as a little, you know, put out as a little bit of a snack. Midday meals, grazing platters, um, those are wonderful things to invite company for. But again, they work for the family. They work for any time. And grazing platters, I think, is just something that we're all so into these days. It's, it's, the, it's the magical meal board where everything is there. You have very little prep work, and you can just make, um, you know, make this beautiful display that everyone kind of gets what they want. I did include mains um, and sweets, but then there's this cooking for friends section, which is really loose also. It's menus that tells you what you can make when you have a lot of friends coming over. And again, it's always things that you can pack away or tuck away in advance so that in the moment when people arrive at the table, whether that's just your family or a big group of friends, there's not a lot of work for you as the host. So you just brought up grazing platters. Describe your Hungarian snacking tray. Well, my husband's Hungarian, and so in Hungary, when you go there, you know, there wouldn't be ever a formal sit-down meal, almost never. So what they do instead is a snack, they, you know, I call it a snacking tray, Um, and basically what it is is tons of meats and cheeses, and there's soft cheeses and hard cheeses, of course, like we would do here, but there's even more meats than we would ever think to put on. There's soft ones and and dried um, dried sausages, and they always have pate. But one thing that's really unique is that they really blend sweets into all their kinds of meals. So I think it's a very distinctive thing that you would also find little pogacha, which are um, cheese, little homemade cheese biscuits, or you would find 
strudel or bagley, which is kind of more of a bread-like yeasted strudel, and you would find fruits and pickles and pickled eggs and hard-boiled eggs. So truly you could sit there for hours and hours and just graze over that board, and everyone kind of has what they want, and, you know, the children dip in and out. And the fun thing about that is over there it's so different than, you know, here we're always saying, eat your vegetables, eat your vegetables, and then you can have a piece of cake or an ice cream. And in their culture, it's just very integrated. You just eat it all in any order you want. I like how you weave ease and grace into this cookbook, something you normally don't think about in terms of cookbooks. But believe you me, there's so many nights when ease and grace go right out of the window. That is so true. Well, when you've got kids and they're running around at your feet, you know, it's really challenging. Um, And I think for me, the ease and grace comes from thinking ahead a little bit. And, you know, of course, I've worked for women's magazines for about 15 years, and we spent many times preparing these great lists and meal plans and months of meals for everybody. But the fact of the matter is, if you are not uber organized, if you are not super structured, those don't work for every kind of family, and they don't work for my family. So uh, the ease and grace for me is that you're always kind of tucking something away, and you're always kind of keeping it light. Um, that's not easy, obviously, but it is a mentality. It's It's thinking that Yes, it's Monday, but, or, or, you know, or even Tuesday is here. Gosh, we're barely just getting started on the week. But you can sit down and make a meal a little bit more like a Saturday afternoon by turning on the music and deciding that it doesn't have to be a meat and potatoes plate at dinner tonight. It can be a snacking tray or it can be um, something a little bit easier, just a big bowl of soup with lots of nice bread. And so just taking our mindset to a different place is so important. I think it keeps it fun. You started out your career working from home, writing cookbooks and recipes for magazines. And then what prompted you to take the position as food director at Real Simple Magazine? Well, it's such a good question. It was really a dream job. I have to say it was a coming together of all the different walks of life. So I'd worked in magazines before, and I'd worked at the Food Network, and I'd been a private chef. And, you know, I had a journalism degree, and so I had a lot of history with magazines, but when I left my last full-time job to write my first cookbook, I really thought I would never go back. Um, but Real Simple was just really an embodiment of exactly the place I was in my life at the time. You know, I had one two-year-old child, and I was starting to simplify my life. Um, I really wanted to connect with an audience of women who, you know, were high achievers and had a ton of high standards for their family life, but also knew that it's impossible to do it all and to do it all perfectly. And so I like that the mentality there was not about perfection. It was about simple beauties and simple pleasures. That is so important to me because I feel like, you know, in an Instagram world, we're all striving for perfect, perfect all the time, but the simplest pleasures are really the most gratifying ones, you know, whether that's sitting in the, you know, on a picnic table with your child and listening to them babble on or just having a really easy meal where everyone's relaxed. I think that's true luxury. So now you're back working from home. Is that your dream scenario? It is. I, you know, since we moved out of the city, we live in a really sweet little town. It's, it's very, it's kind of like an old European village. And from my office window where I'm sitting right now, I can see, you know, our grass and where the kids play and I can see my own garden my garden is definitely a muse for my life, and so are my children. So, you know, as much as I loved um, being in a fancy office and having the camaraderie of being with all these super inspiring women, mostly, um, I really, I'm really happiest at home, and I'm happiest creating with my hands every day. And so, I get to dip in and out of editor world and writing world, and into my kitchen and into my garden every day, two or three times throughout the day. 
that's perfect for me. You have a next level ingredient list that includes one of my recent discoveries, Castelvertrano olives. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Oh, you're saying it so much better than I can. I can spell it. I can cook with it, but I still can't say it. I had to sound <laughs> it out, but I love them. Other than you snacking, <laughs> what are some interesting ways you work them into dishes? Oh, they are the best. They're wonderful for snacking. I put them on all my grazing platters, but they're also great in salads because they're so meaty. So I put them in a lot of, you know, I put them in radish salad. I put them in all kinds of different salads throughout the book. And I also love to cook them with fish or even chicken. So if you cook them, if you, I have a dish that's a super simple um, baked fish dinner and you put olives and capers and, um, on the vine tomatoes in with white fish and you bake it and it's the whole thing is ready in about 25 minutes and you can use any olive but um castro veterinal can you say it for me the, the meaty green olives that we all love <laughs> yes we'll call them meaty green olives <laughs> meaty green olives and and um and there's another one chernolas which is a which is an Italian, and they're just a little bit bigger. And I usually buy them on with the pit inside because they're usually more flavorful that way. Um, and those work as a great substitute as well. They're super meaty and just juicy, and they have they have a little bit of a tang um, and a brininess, but they're not that puckery brininess that you get from a dark olive like a like a Calmada or a Niçoise. You have a whole section entitled Ode to Avocado. A clever tip <laughs> you wrote was avocado halves or quarters are perfect vessels. I never thought about that. That's so great because, you know, if you just scoop out the pit, and even if, if it's a half or a quarter, you have this little dome, and it's great for olive oil and sprinkling mold and sea salt or a little bit of soy sauce or sriracha. You know, I think one thing that we get caught up in in our, in our um, cook conversations um, about the best way to eat. People say, oh, I'm not a good cook. Um, a lot of my, a lot of what makes me seem like I'm a great cook is I'm a great shopper. I'm a great preparer. I'm great at gathering the right things in my home. And therefore, my time in the kitchen can be a lot easier and breezier. And this is a perfect example of that. So if you know how to shop and you know how to select a perfect avocado when you press your thumb and it gives just a little but not too much. And I give you those kinds of tips in the book because I really do, I want it to be easy. I know I don't want to be that um, person that's like, oh, well, you know, she's really, she, it's just, just easy for her. I want it to be easy for you too. I want it to be easy for all of us. And a lot of that is just um, not making it quite as difficult as we thought it was in our minds. So on page 17, you have your 10 favorite foods list. And I love when cookbook authors do this because my 10 favorite foods just vary from day to day. So let's go through a few of them. Okay. Uh, your number one is oats. Yeah, oats are so great because I, you know, I throw oats in a lot of my breads, homemade bread. So a quick bread like banana bread, which is, you know, I grew up with my mom's delicious banana bread, and it was certainly amazing and and delightful. But maybe it didn't it didn't have that long lasting energy that we need for our busy lives. And we know so much more about nutrition now. So I add oats into my banana bread. Um, they're great in smoothies. If you have a Vitamix, they just basically disappear. You can add them into cookies. You can make muesli with it. Muesli is one of our daily breakfasts around here because it's a lot less sugar than granola is. And also you can add whatever fruits are in season any time of the year. So it's very, very versatile. So I love oats. We always have them in the house. So then um, you have avocados, eggs, artisan bread, yogurt, and then you have smoked salmon. Talk a little bit about that. 
Oh, gosh. We love smoked salmon. We love smoked fish of all time. I actually have a cured lox recipe in this book in my project section, which I forgot to mention earlier. The project section is things that you would make on a weekend and tuck away for the week, like pickled onions, smoked salmon, or, you know, cured salmon, spinach pie, homemade nut milk, things like that. Um, because salmon is so great and smoked salmon, you, you can make a little tartine. You can immediately, if you have good smoked salmon in the house and, and bread or bagels, you can invite friends over. It's just one of those elevating things that is so simple and so nutritious and healthful. My kids love it. My whole family loves it, but it's just really beautiful and elegant, colorful. But again, it's about procuring a good ingredient and then not having to do much yourself once you get home. Okay, the next favorite food is cheese, one hard, (laughs) one creamy, and then greens and herbs, crunchy vegetables, and last but not least, a giant bowl of fruit. So what do you put in your bowl? Well, my kids are total fruit fanatics. So right now there are two entire huge bunches of bananas in my house, which you know, can be used in smoothies and make my banana bread when they get brown and just, you know, packing in lunches and things like that. But we also have berries. We always have apples. Um, we're, in, we're in a really great farm region here, so it could be different all the time. But we have, you know, we don't leave out strawberries and little berries and stuff like that because they go bad quickly. But I just am such a believer that you make good food accessible to your family so that they don't grab for other things to snack. So there's always a giant wooden bowl on my marble kind of island area that the kids or my husband can just pop in and grab whatever they want. Your summer macaroni recipe on page 114 was a revelation for me. What did Martha Stewart have to do with the creation of this recipe? You know, I don't know if she was the very first person to write a one-pot pasta, but that's the first place I saw it. I remember this great article that was like, you know, 12 genius dishes or how to be a better cook or something like that. And, you know, as a magazine editor, you're seeing hundreds and hundreds of of stories and you're creating them yourself. But every once in a while, one is so good that you tear it out and you tack it to your board and you hang on to it. And at the time, I was the food director at Real Simple Magazine. I was creating with my team, you know, 20 new recipes every month. So I didn't really have time to cook from any other magazines. But I remember thinking, that's super smart. I should try that just for myself at home when I have time. And so when I was writing the book, um, it kind of was in the back of my mind, but I didn't necessarily think I would put a recipe like that in my book because hers was just so classic and perfect. It was pasta and tomatoes and, you know, olive oil and maybe some basil and really can't get much better than that. But this one really came together impromptu because I had friends over and I'd made a giant grazing board and they were here at like three in the afternoon. They were like, we're just going to pop in for an hour. And, you know, come 5.30, they're still there. I've got like nine kids in the backyard and four adults who are all hungry. And I just said, keep talking. And I was able to run in the house and throw pasta and zucchini and onions and basil from the garden and a little oregano and olive oil in a pot, literally stir it a few times, go back out, chat, come back in and check on it. And you know, added the cheese at the end, and it was, like, really creamy and delicious. And my kids my kids right away said, oh, Mama, is that macaroni and cheese? And I'm like, yes, because I didn't know if they would eat it if I said, oh, it's one pot pasta and there's zucchini in it, for example. Um, everyone just devoured it. So then that became a habit in our house to do that, like, once a week, just as a super easy dinner. What cheese do you use with it? Well, you can use Parmesan or Pecorino. Um that's what I do for the kids, something, you know, that really melty or even manchego. People, I think manchego is one of those underutilized cheeses, and I have a source where I can get a nice big chunk of it. 
and I just have it on hand all the time. I actually use manchego in my meatballs as well. It's so creamy, but it has that saltiness of pecorino or parmesan. But when I serve this to adults, sometimes I do dollop fresh ricotta cheese on the, on the end and then a drizzle of olive oil and some good malden salt because that just kind of elevates the dish and makes it a little bit more, you know, feel a little bit more special. I love the combination of black and white and color photos in this cookbook. Talk a little bit about the design aspect. Oh, that's such a good question. Well, Andrea Gentle and Martin Hires, who shot this book, I actually met them like 15 years ago. One of my first jobs out of um, out of journalism school, I was a an assistant photo editor at Oprah Magazine when the magazine launched, and um, we used to hire them to shoot all kinds of things, but food food photography, but as well as beauty and other things. And they were just kind of like the ultimate. So my dream was to have them shoot this book, and we worked together on it. And it was so wonderful because it was just very intuitive and natural. They came to my house three separate times. We just shot me and my kids. Um, you know, of course, I would prep and, and make all the beautiful food, but then they would just capture my kids and I in our natural environment. So, you know, having a picnic at our favorite orchard, Westwind Orchard, or going to our favorite swimming hole and eating watermelon. They just, you know, really captured us in our in our home life up here and I think they did it so beautifully. And, I, of course, I really wanted the food to shine in this book. But the idea of Every Day is Saturday is a lifestyle even more than just a way to cook. It's, it's about embracing the little simple moments of life and not letting them pass you by, which is very easy to do. Another unique feature in this cookbook is the Special Diets Index. What prompted you to include a special index? I love that question. I'm so happy with this detail. Um, A friend of mine, actually, my former intern who worked on my first book with me, her name is Lindsay Maitland Hunt, and she wrote a great book called Healthiest last year. And she had a Special Diets Index, and I thought, that is, we've got to have that, because if you're dairy-free, gluten-free, vegan, or vegetarian, you can go to this on page 248 and 249, and there are literally 60 or 70 recipes for each of those diets. So it makes me so happy. Yesterday I was doing a preview advanced book signing, and people you would come up and they say, oh, I love your book. It's so, so beautiful. Oh, but I'm vegan. It's probably not going to work for me. And I can say, actually, there are 38 recipes in the back that are naturally vegan. You know, they're not using vegan or vegetarian substitutes, but they're just foods that are naturally vegan or vegetarian or naturally gluten-free or dairy-free because I'm such a whole foods-based cook and there's so much that nature provided for us that I don't believe we have to really truly bend over backwards to eat in these special diets. I mean, it's all available for you in this book, in this book as well. So I'm really happy with that. And that was actually something we squeezed in at the very last minute because I asked for it and asked for it. And we didn't think we were going to have the page count. And at the very last minute, a genius researcher that I worked with at at Food Network for years was available to help us index it. And we squeezed it in. So I'm very happy to have it. Yesterday, I made your recipe for magic pork shoulder on page 157. I was wondering why it wasn't in the project section, because it does take a bit of time putting spices on and letting it sit. No, that's such a good question. Well, one of the things that you, you maybe don't notice outrightly is that at the end of every chapter, so in the breakfast and brunch chapter, at the end of the toast chapter, there's a mini chapter, and it's basically a one or two pager or spread. Sometimes it goes into two spreads, where I give you one kind of either list or write through recipes. Like in breakfast and brunch, it's migas versus chili chilies, and I talk about um, what are migas, what are chili chilies, how you can just make this magical, delicious breakfast with some leftover tortillas um, and a few extra ingredients. And 
I wanted to end every chapter with this. Here's one great thing you should learn by heart and do over and over and over again. And so in this, in this section, Cooking for Friends, it's a magic pork shoulder because I never really just make it for our family. I make it for friends, and because it's a huge pork shoulder, um, I always have enough to serve. I serve this up both of my kids' birthday parties, and my husband's even vegetarian. So this is, I'm not making it for him. I'm making it for all of our guests that are coming over, and we stuff it into tacos. We eat it all summer long. But whenever I make it, there is always at least, you know, a little small Tupperware left over for me and the kids for the rest of the week. And so it's, it's magical in so many ways. It's magical that you have to do very little work, and it's, the work is being done for you in a low, slow oven. And it's magical because it feeds so many people. And everyone always raves about it. And it's also magical because you're almost guaranteed to have a little bit left over. And that's going to make, let's say, your Tuesday night feel really special when you're like, oh, it's a hard week, but I've got that juicy pork shoulder that I can pull out and throw into tacos or put on top of pasta, you know, or just eat with a coleslaw on the side or a big leafy salad. And it's just so satisfying that you don't need to do much else. I can't wait. Tonight, I'm going to shred it and put it with your pickled red onions that I also did yesterday and make tacos. Yum. So good. Right? Um, On a Monday now? How exciting is perfect. that? Perfect. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now to my segment called My Last Meal. What would you have for your last supper? Oh, gosh. That's a good one. Um, well, there would for sure be watermelon. And I think right now I'm in a I'm in a protein fruit and chocolate mode of my life. So I think I would um I think I would actually have possibly the meatballs from the book, which I love, which are on the cover. I'm a really late comer to enjoying ground meat and meatballs and all things of the kind. So I'm making up for it. I'm making up for lost time. Um pro- probably the meatballs because I just love the idea of Italian cooking and the whole um, just the warmth and inclusiveness that, that goes with it and the love that's usually poured into something like that. And then there would be watermelon. There would be a huge leafy green salad, and probably it would be the Ravenwood salad from this book, which has got tons of kale and shredded cabbage and pepitas. I love a salad with tons of texture. You can put pepitas and sunflower seeds, and it's just, on its own it's amazing, but it's wonderful before or even after any other course. Then we'd have like half of a watermelon all to myself. (laughs) (laughs) And then I would have either the flourless chocolate cake from the book or the chocolate snacking loaf, both really satisfy in that super fudgy chocolate way um, with a sprinkle of sea salt. And there probably would have to be, oddly enough, a glass of milk because I do love a glass of milk with something chocolatey. Where can we find you on the web and social media? Okay, I'm at Edible Living on Instagram. My website is edibleliving.com. My Twitter is at edibleliving. And Pinterest, I love Pinterest, um, is at edibleliving. So it's all under there, and I love to connect with people there. A weekend state of mind is just a recipe away. Thanks, Sarah, for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast. Thanks for having me, Susie. It was so great to talk. Follow Susie Chase on Instagram at Cookery by the Book and subscribe at cookerybythebook.com or in Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening to Cookery by the Book Podcast, the only podcast devoted to cookbooks since 2015.